Hello and welcome to In the Way, um, a podcast about discipleship for the Church of the Nazarene in, in the Sacramento District. Um, I'm really, really excited to be here and to be talking with Sam Wood. Hey. Right? It's Wood yeah. and not... Sam Wood, not Wood. Woods. Not Woods. Okay. Um, the golf club, not the forest. Yep. All right. So... Um, yeah, and we're going to be talking about 12-step programs and um, how they are discipleship, right? Yes, and, that's a, something I'm really passionate about. Okay, cool. So tell us where where we are right now and uh, where you serve, and and then we'll jump into kind of everything there. Yeah, uh, right now we're, we're in my office. It's uh, So it's our youth group slash recovery slash adult discipleship hub. And we don't run a youth group out of here, but this is this is where uh, I keep my Nerf guns and my <laughs> my twelve step books and my sleeping bags all all in the corner. Um, so we're we're in Chico, California, at Hope Commons Church of the Nazarene. And like I said, my my name is Sam Wood. I'm the family life pastor here. Okay, and that mostly encompasses youth, adult discipleship, recovery ministry. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, I'm really excited. Your pastor, Ron, um, uh, kind of recommended that we sit down and chat. So here we are. Um, yeah, so let's just jump in. How um, do you want to tell us a little bit of your story? And um, you kind of pick it up wherever wherever you feel like the right place is. Sure. So um, let's see. I, I was raised in Sonoma County, and it was... Uh, yeah, pretty pretty near. Pretty yeah, close where to is Sonoma County? It was in uh, Petaluma. Oh man, so I lived yeah. there um, until I was about fourteen years old, and it was it was a, it was a, a, a pretty normal like middle class family. Um, my uh, no no one in my family is a is a believer in Jesus. So um, you know th- there there's definitely like some isolation, you know, in our in our family, and uh, me and my brothers we're, we were just wild like mm. I. I have two older brothers. They're named Joe and Dan, and they're they're awesome, and I love them. And they were they were really wild, and you know, in turn, I was wild. And <laughs> and my my parents just really they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they um they you know they, I oversimplify it, but it, but 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 I think it's it's pretty pretty common with non-believers is. You know, the purpose of life is you try to make yourself happy, mm-hmm. right? that it's uh, I need to do stuff to to give myself joy mm. and, and fulfillment. And, um, I, you know, I, I think I think they they struggled with that and they didn't know what, what to do with us boys. And so we just kind of did whatever whatever we wanted. Um, mm. And so, like, you know, in, you know, I, I'd go to school and you know, my parents are smart. They taught me how to read and write. I can I could do math. Uh but I, I really thought school was just a place like you just go to screw around, hmm. and um, and that's that's all I did there, and and like over over the years of just going to school, getting you know screwing around, constantly being like sent out, like sent out of the classroom for whatever reason. Um, I never learned how to be a student, hmm. like how to how to like do homework mm. and pass classes, because mm-hmm. like that is. Like I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not saying I was dumb. 
I just didn't know how to do those basic skills. Yeah, it's a totally different like skill set. It's not intelligence. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and but over over time, by the time I got like you know junior high age, um, I didn't know how to do that stuff, and I started to feel really dumb. I started to feel like an outcast. I started to feel like I I really didn't belong. That mm-hmm. I, that um, and around that time, I you know I was exposed to drugs and alcohol and started with, you know, marijuana and, and, and beer and, and it immediately took away all, all those feelings of like inadequacy I mm-hmm. had towards, towards other people. Mm-hmm. Cause like I'll, I'll look at other students and go like, how come you get it? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me that, that I don't get it. And, um, and it, and it was that solution for me. And uh, once once I started doing it, like I I knew this was it. I knew I fig I figured out a way to to kind of cheat life, right? Mm. Like before, I figured out a life hack before before we said <laughs> stuff like that, right? Where I was like, I could find joy and fulfillment in life um, in in this way because the way everyone else is doing it, it's it's not working for me. It never has, and and it never will. That there's there's something you know, fundamentally different about me. Hmm. And so um, that that really got deeply ingrained in, in my identity. Hmm. So when, um, you know, I, I'll spare very details, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but by the time I became an adult, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't manage to graduate high school. And, um, but, you know, using, using drugs and alcohol as a way to, uh, give myself my life joy and pleasure and meaning just continued to like fortify itself mm. it really really deepened me um so when you know when i was in my early 20s that's you know the hype of the the height of the opiate epidemic and mm. oxycontin was was really big and being prescribed left and right and um i i got hooked on that very quickly eventually um you know they they like over restricted oxycontin as a result, and mm-hmm. pills kind of went away, and heroin just just moved in, and then I I moved to heroin, and and once I was on heroin, it, it was it was kind of like that. It was like a second wave of that feeling I felt when I was in junior high, where wow. where I, you know, like where I was like I I have found it, like for for twenty dollars a shot, mm-hmm. I can. I have, you know, all pain and suffering and inadequacy and all my failures, every, all the areas of my life that's hurt and broken, like for $20, I can, I can, I can take that away. It's only for a couple hours, but I can, yeah. I can take it away. And it's powerful. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, so it, that became my life very quickly. And I, I was all in and I stayed all in and, um, so, you know, I was using for a long time. It was, of course, a, lo- a lot of fun at first and gave me, you know, pleasure and joy and whatnot. Uh, I started to have problems like, you know, stuff like uh, not paying bills on time, car was never insured, uh, mm. little things like that. Uh, showing up to late to work. Um, and then the next phase is where you just only have problems, right? Mm. Where where you, you're no longer having any fun. It's just... You're just trying to make the pain go away. Mm. And 
and that yeah that's that's where I was for for years and so you know I I, I spent a couple years in and out of jail and um you know living in my car or whoever I was shacking up with or uh you know in hotel rooms it was and um I eventually started getting like arrested enough to where I they kind of stopped letting you out at a certain point there's like there's a line and it's like for me it was like it was like four arrests they okay they they said this was back when drugs were felonies and so they they stopped letting me out and Hmm. so i um i got sentenced to six years of of county prison so i can in in butte county um back then so we're talking is nine years ago or so. Um, like our, you know, our, our state prisons are so crowded with um, drug offenders, and and so they they started creating like local prisons here here at our jail, and so and so it's a uh, so it's like all the time of going to prison, but without actually any of like like the structure of education and and programs and work and okay all, all the all all the I guess benefits to going to prison yeah if, the rehabilitative side of it yeah 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 okay so instead of that it's, it's it was literally just housing yeah, yeah so i got a, i got six years of that <laughs> huh. and i got comfortable there mm. i was um it's a, you know it's common when you're in jail you don't you never think about the bad times you, you only think about the good times and I could not wait to get back out and and just mm. hit the ground running again. Mm. So, um, but but something happened. Uh, it was called Prop Forty Seven. They they restructured drug felonies, and so they so any possession changed to a misdemeanor. Okay. And so, like, kind of overnight. Actually, it wasn't like that. But all right, <laughs> now, over over a couple of month period, like people started getting let out of jail for. Mm-hmm. For possession of drugs and um and so I, I got my sentence reduced significantly but not enough to like just be let out um, but they did offer for me to go to the salvation army adult rehabilitation program here here in chico and um it's not it's not something i was really excited about doing because i, I wasn't really motivated to change but um i did it anyways <laughs> i yeah, I, I, you know, like I, I, I was like, I really have nothing, nothing to lose. Yeah, I thought it would be interesting, and I got there, and I, I absolutely hated it. It was, it was awful. Yeah, I was comfortable in, in jail. I would just re- read books and work out, and mm-hmm. I went to Salvation Army, and they made me like work, yeah. go to meetings. <laughs> We'd have a, uh, they have church services and Bible studies. It was, it was, it was a nightmare. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, so much yeah. so that you decided to spend your life going to church services and leading Bible <laughs> That's that's the, Jump, cru- the cruel joke. Yeah, jumping ahead, jumping ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, um, hmm. so that was my first exposure to twelve step recovery. Hmm. Was, was that the Salvation Army? It was. Um, it was my first exposure to the gospel. Hmm. I, you know, everything I knew about God, about, about Christ, about how Christians lived, I learned from like TV. Mm-hmm. So like the things Simpson ha- Simpsons has to say about it, right? <laughs> Where it's you're either Ned Flanders or you're a, 
a hypocrite. Yeah. And um, so, so, so I'm at the Salvation Army, and and I I hear it kind of laid out to me, and I see people that like I know because it's it's a local program. I knew a lot of the people there, and you know I saw people I know start to believe in God and start to work the twelve steps, mm. and and they they change, mm. right? And I didn't I really didn't know what to make of it, but I I wanted I wanted that to happen to me because because, you know, after spending a little bit of time there, maybe maybe like a month of hearing uh, hearing some of these messages that it was kind of starting to wear me down a little bit of, of people's messages of hope. And uh, <laughs> and I uh, I started to feel, you know, how demoralized I made myself in my life mm. that. That, you know, my, my, my hopes of, you know, things just working out for me and hopes that, like, you know, if I get the right things in order, I then will become, like, a decent person and I then will maybe grow out of, you know, this addiction. And, you know, th- th- that was kind of the hope I had, but the reality was is my addiction just wanted more and more and more of me and and I gave it I gave it everything. Hmm. I gave, it gave it every aspect of me. I, you know, I did and said things that you know that I thought I would never do, and I knew it could always get worse. That hmm. if if I stayed using, and so yeah, I was demoralized. I wanted, I wanted what these people who had started to change had, and and so I, I decided to uh, to start doing what they did, which is get a sponsor and and work the 12 steps. So um in the 12 step recovery world, like it's it's called sponsorship, but you know in our in our Christian world we we call it discipleship, <laughs> right? That they yeah, they they're, they're really the they're the same thing. Hmm. So um so I you know, fast forward a little bit is I, after I left the program um you know, I, I had about a year clean. And then I I met the sponsor that I have now. His name his name is Martin. And he, so he um he had like five years clean and sober. His and he like had his life together, you know. Mm-hmm. And and not just that, like he he was he was super generous and he was kind and he's loving and he dedicated his time and his and his money to to serving the kingdom. And I was like, oh, like I really, I really want what that person has. I really want to um, be that kind of person. I want to learn to do what what they do. So, um, you know, I, I asked him to to start working with me, and and thing is, like he he like believed I could do it. Hmm. You know, like he. Like to him, it was it was not a second, it was not a second thought at all. He's like, "Oh, okay, like, great. Like, you you want to learn to live like I do? Um, this is what I'm doing. I'm work I'm working these steps and applying these principles to my life, and and you can do this. And that that was a lot for me because like you know my my life was at the dumps. I hadn't worked for like five years. I was a felon. Uh, 
you know, I was living like in a halfway house. Um, like that seems so far from where, where I was at, you know, I, I had a good run of, I had about a year sober. That was, that was a big deal. I, uh, I was starting to like read the Bible and learn, you know, I was starting to learn about how to have a relationship with Jesus. But like, yeah, the thought of um, being so different, living such a different life. I, I, I thought this was as good as it was going to get for me. You know, mm. like just, just where the station I was at. And, but no, he, uh, he believed, you know, I, I could do it. And, and and that's the credible thing about um, about twelve uh, step recovery is that is that like I what what I now know is is that any I can find any person in the world and if they're willing to be honest about about themselves and their and their addictions and honest about wanting to change, they can just work these practical steps in their lives and and have complete transformation. Hmm. I mean that, I mean, absolutely anybody, because what I know about myself is that, you know, I did them and it, and it worked and I was, I was awful. I was, I was terrible. I'm a, I'm a different person now, hmm. but you know, the key is you have to, you have to be honest and, and not everyone is, uh, is willing to do that. Hmm. And some people can't. Some people actually have, you know, some sort of psychological issue, or where, where um, truth is is different. The truth is a. Anyways, um. Hey everybody, this is Jeff, and I wanted to come in here, kind of midpoint, um, just to just to give a little bit of reflection on everything that we've kind of been talking about or I had been talking about with Sam here um, in particular I'm thinking about this uh, this relationship with between discipleship and, and mentoring and he sort of alluded to it um, but the idea that you have this sponsor who walks with you through the process of working the steps um, understanding your own sobriety Beginning to kind of come to terms with who you are as an addict and, and in your addiction. Yeah, that's a powerful idea that we're not alone on the road. And it's a reminder to me of a couple things. Um, you know, the one is just how how deeply we are built for community with one another um, and how easily we forget that that doesn't uh, that doesn't somehow stop um, in in the church um, Christians have always done this Jesus sends people out not by themselves but two by two right? um, Paul typically has a, a partner with him. I mean, this is how the apostles move through the world, not as single units, um, but in either partnerships or kind of mentor, um, you know, mentor student or, or um, mentor mentee ki kinds of 
relationships, this is actually what discipleship is. And it's so critical for us to have a clear sense of this um, if we actually understand Jesus. And if we actually want to understand Jesus, we do not come to understand the Lord by reading our Bibles by ourselves. We do not come fully to understand the Lord by praying alone in a room. You know, that is an important part of this life in Christ. But if we are not walking with somebody else or several somebody's else who can hear the Spirit with us, who can teach us to discern, then we just aren't doing discipleship. That might sound strong for some people, but I'm absolutely convinced of it. And I'm so grateful um, to AA and their 12-step programs for helping us see how critical that need is. We cannot do this by ourselves. It takes not only a community of people, but it takes um, a close relationship with somebody who, um, and I love how Sam said that, it's, it was somebody who's, uh, whose sobriety was attractive to me. Christ's presence to us is always in somebody or in something. Right? Even, even the scriptures themselves have to come to me printed on paper in between a cover from a publisher. I mean, there's all these kinds of like marks of physicality on a Bible that I hold in my hand. The Spirit's voice more often than not comes to me in the voice of somebody else, usually my wife, um, but often other people. And as we dive into uh, the 12 steps, Sam is going to spend some time kind of walking out what they are for us here in the second half of this first half. (laughs) I'd love for us to notice the difference. You know, sometimes 12-step programs get criticized for Christians, by Christians, A, for sort of an insufficient concept of God, which um, I think will be something we'll address in the second episode. But one of the other challenges is the, the sort of sickness model of addiction, that if you are an addict, then you're sick and you need the right medicine. There can be some criticism of that because some people will say, look, sin isn't an illness. Um, It's something you've done wrong. It's something you need forgiveness for. Um, And There's this sort of tension between what we would call a therapeutic model of salvation, right? We're healed um, and an illegal model of salvation. We have our sins washed away. We have our record expunged. We have our guilt dealt with. And if you find yourself listening to this conversation and kind of going, ah, man, I'm uncomfortable with that, or I feel like this is being missed, maybe that's the thing to examine. What is my understanding of sin? Do I see it as a sickness that needs to be healed, or or do I see it as a record that needs to be cleansed? Is it therapeutic or legal? And then I'd encourage you, 
if you're of the inclination, go look at Psalm 51. And I think what you'll discover in this sort of, maybe the best description of sin in the scriptures, Psalm 51, what you'll discover if you read is both. David says that it was uh, because of sin that he was brought forth in wickedness. It was something he was born with without his intent or participation. And that's a sickness. But at the same time, sin is something that can be blotted out. And as I kind of listen back and on this conversation and, and wrestle with this, um, I'd encourage you maybe to to join me in this moment of saying, look, how have I imagined sin? Is it a mark on a clean sheet of paper? Or is it a sickness that clings to me? Or maybe somehow it's both. Maybe it's both of those things and God actually has a way to deal with them. The reason I bring that up is because if if sin is I say just <laughs> if sin is exclusively a legal issue guilt that needs to be cleansed a, a record that needs to be expunged if that's all it is then that's something we can deal with by ourselves. I can pray to God and I can you know, confess to somebody if I absolutely have to, but pretty much it's just an internal thing and then maybe an external action. And then I go on my merry way. But if, if sin is more than that, if, if, if sin is an illness, if it's like a mildew that clings to the walls of my house, an infestation, that requires any number of things. It might require pest control. It, it might require um, new paint. But it might also me require me learning how to do something differently. To open the window when I shower so that the moisture doesn't build up. It, it requires a new way of life. And that kind of new way of life can only come as I live in community with people who are helping me see and understand how to put that new way of life into action. So if we are serious about our faith, if you are serious about your discipleship, then it's critical you be in a close relationship with somebody who wants to help you walk that road. And if you're serious about helping others in their discipleship, you need to know that this is not something you do just because of an initiative your pastor starts or, you know, it's just the way small groups work or something like that. You have got to be engaged in this first off out of your own, to use 12-step language, out of your own sobriety, out of your own recovery. And then, once we've got some time, once we have some maturity, once we've done a little bit of growing up in Christ and once we can demonstrate that in our lives to pass that on to help others walk that out and as we do so to discover ever new dimensions 
of Jesus' salvation, of the Spirit's work in our lives and in our world. Let's get back to what Sam has to say. So um, here's how the 12 steps work. Okay. So step one, we admitted that we're powerless over addictions and that our lives had become unmanageable. So we, we admit that we have a problem, and it could be, it could be alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, food, whatever, and we have a problem, and as a result of this problem, our life is becoming unmanageable. Mm. And, and that, that language of unmanageability can mean, can mean anything. Right? Okay. So, so uh, the term thrown, thrown around a lot is rock bottom. But rock, the thing about rock bottom is you could always you could always dig deeper. <laughs> so the so like you know I I could say like my life is becoming unmanageable now with um, with my my eating habits right because I'm I weigh more than I did you know a year ago and I felt better then about mm. myself and I was healthier then and so I could say my life is unmanageable compared to that. Can it get worse? Yes. But it's not like there's some categorical definition of rock. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's I, I declare when my life is unmanageable. Yes. I declare when, when this is rock bottom. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so, so after we admit that there's a problem, so come honest, right, and um, declare that it's become unmanageable, that I can't do anything to to fix this in my, in my own strength, in my own power, um, at least everything I've tried hasn't worked, that we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could do it. And so, so here we, we decide that there is a power greater than us, and this power greater than us is capable of returning us to a place of, of sanity. Right. So it's like using the food analogy, sane people, really sane people make healthy decisions that hmm. that will yield healthy results. Right. Insane people do the use, make poor decisions and then continue to make poor decisions, even though they know not, you know. So is that, yeah, that's that language of sanity is really mm. <laughs> um, punchy. <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of hits. Um is it that idea of mm. I return to this same mechanism over and over to try to solve a problem that I know it can't solve? That's exactly it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. Cause it's, it's so easy to be like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not an insane person. Like yeah. I'm, I'm wearing clean underpants. Right, right. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but it's go, but I, I might be making the same mistake, walking in the same traps of, right. of sin and, in addiction. Hmm. So once we, uh, so what, once we admit that uh, we're powerless, our lives have become unmanageable, that we, we come to believe that there is a higher power that can take, take that from us. We decide to turn our will over to that power. Hmm. Hmm. And so the way the language is, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Now, we can, we can look at that 
as we understand them two ways is um, one is, you know, the context of the people who wrote it is they go, hey, we this is as we understand it because mm-hmm. this worked for us and we decided this from from this God that we understand. Right. Um, and I think I think that's a incredible leg to stand on. <laughs> we so what, what mainstream AA declares is that like, you know, the God as we understand him is the one that I choose is real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is the doorknob whole thing, right? <laughs> right. This, yeah, this is the doorknob or some people it's going to be a sponsor yeah. or w- whatever it is that's. But, but, you know, for this to work, it has to be, uh, it has to be an intelligence that's greater mm. than, than, than you. And, mm. and however, how, however you decide to interpret it, God can handle it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so we turn our will over, over to this God who can restore to sanity because we need him because mm-hmm. our life is unmanageable, right? Step four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So this is we, we learn to become honest with ourselves by, by taking an inventory of, of things we've done, things, even things that happened to us. Uh, we, we look at like our, our character, who we are, and we, we just become really transparent with the kind of person we have been up to this point. Mm-hmm. We put like pen to paper and just kind of, have that there going like this is who i've been and so once we and this is you know that's not easy this and this is like a step that totally scares people away it's like like you know i have a long history of being being awful to people and awful to myself and uh i don't want to think about that it makes me it totally makes me cringe hmm. Is this the first step? So this is step four. Mm-hmm. Is this the first step that has like a a thing you have to do? Yes. Like you have to, you've got something you can hold in your hand and say, here's my searching and fearless moral inventory. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And, uh-huh. uh, and I think that's one of the strengths of this one is you can, you can hold it going like, this is a biography of who I've been up to this point. And, and we, we learned that, um, you know, I can be transparent about who I've been because God, God sees this and I I could be honest about this and it's okay. Mm. Like I I don't need to pretend like these things didn't happen because they did. And then the next step is um, we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the, the exact nature of our wrongs. So, we we take that that transparency that we've we've just created with ourselves, and then we share that with God and another person. So so we learn to be transparent with with others that that um, we can lay out with you know we can lay all this out to someone who's trustworthy and go look. This is who I've been up up to this point. This is me you know, before walking with the Lord and this is me, you know, when I'm, when I'm using drugs or alcohol or, or pornography, these are the kinds of things I do. And we, we show it to someone else and we go and we find out it's okay. Mm. That, that God doesn't love us any less, that this person, you know, has probably heard worse 
and they still love you and they they still trust you and that and that you know the the world isn't going to fall apart and um the good in you doesn't cease to exist because wow. you've become transparent about the not so good wow what a man <laughs> what a powerful lie right totally that i have to hold it like i have to lie about who i am in order to maintain what's good about me right oh <laughs> hmm. okay yeah that's a but that's and that that's pretty common when people come to this <clears throat> come to this place um <coughs> like that that level of honesty um is i mean is that the the 12 steps would kind of and in your experience i guess that people kind of um come to a place where they find like i've been lying about these things or at least hiding them maybe not outright lying but i've been doing what i can to keep them in the mm -hmm. dark because um because what's good in me might be at risk or what people love about me might be at risk. Right. Is that um, fair to say? Yeah. I will, but I think that's fair to say about all, all people. Yeah. All, yeah. Yeah. Always. And, and I think the, um, and what's puts people who are working the 12 steps in a unique position is that they've, they've realized that their life has become unmanageable because of their secrets, because mm -hmm. of their shame and their guilt and so they're at a place where they go let's let's talk about this like this is, this is something i'm willing to try anything because mm -hmm. i've i've i know where you know things have got me doing things on my own and and it's not pretty so let's see um step six is we're entirely ready to have god remove all these defects of character mm. so this this is a uh, it's a decision we make that um, we decide that, that, um, you know, we, we, we look at this list of things that we did with steps four and five, the areas that we've just become transparent about. And we, we, we see through, we, we look at the things that we have done and our, our character through that. Right. Like if you look at my, uh, my fourth step, like, You'd be like, oh, Sam is a liar, and he's totally selfish, and he's a thief, and he hurts and abuses people, and does whatever he wants if it got if it gets him drugs, mm. and that's the kind of person Sam is on on paper. And so I might, so I would to work this step, right? I I go, you know, the all those all those character defects, so every area of my life that's dishonest. In any area of my life where, where 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 I lack integrity, areas where I'm a, a liar, a cheat, and a thief, and selfish, that um, these are my defects of character, and they lead me to a life of unmanageability. And so, I I need to become ready to give these up to God because because as long as I have any shadow of these parts of my life still still in it, I'm going to get the same results I'm, I'm going to i'm going to stay in my addictions hmm. and 
the next step is uh, is step seven. We humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. So, so uh, our defects, character, and shortcomings. It's it's the same thing. So mm. we become ready in step six. Step seven, we we ask God. Huh. Okay. Right, yeah, and it's that's interesting. They they divided into two. Totally. Yeah, because like I I think about them as like as the same. Mm-hmm. But it's, but it's, but, but I think there's, there's something to, uh, like, you know, be informed, like be informed, like forming into the kind of person that, that wants God to remove their defects of character and then actually being the kind of person that asks him to do that for me. Mm. So it's like a, uh. It's almost like a. It's almost like a being formed in the desert, and then, and then making a covenant agreement with God, saying, "I, I don't want to be this person anymore. All my shortcomings, all these characters, you know, defects that I've had, I'm, I'm willing to do the kinds of things that will make me the kind of person who doesn't have these hmm. anymore." Hmm. I'm. I'm inviting you in to mm. to uh, steer that ship. Mm. And that's where it gets messy. Yeah. All right. So step eight, you make a list of people you've harmed and then you become willing to make amends to them. Mm. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's two steps, right? Or it's two actions. Yeah. It's, it's making a list, which if you're a list taker, that's an easy thing to do. And, <laughs> And so you write down, I, you know, I hurt Johnny when I was in the fourth grade. I stole his lunch money. And and the next action with that is I become willing to make that right with Johnny. Hmm. So that, that doesn't mean I, it doesn't mean I like hop on a plane and, yeah. and hire a private detective to find Johnny right away. It, it, it's really I'm making a list and become and become willing. Hmm. Step nine: we we may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Hmm. So this means is um, so we do what it takes to make it right with the people we've hurt. So people on on our list that we've already agreed to, you know, with God that. Okay, we're ready to make amends to these people. Step nine, we actually take action on it. And and this requires enormous amount of, of good judgment, mm. discernment. This is this is something like like all the steps you do with with a sponsor and as many um you know smart people as you can think of. Mm. Because um you can really mess up someone's life by showing up out of the blue and apologizing for how big of a dirtbag you were back then and promising them that you're just a really good guy now hmm. and things have changed hmm. and that you're better. And you can, you cannot think about how, how badly that might, you know, affect them. How right. all the, all the stuff that you're, let's say like old relationships, all, all, you know, all, all the things that you could bring up and, yeah. And 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 mess with them and hurt them with, um, and it's this weird, could be, could mm-hmm. be a weird sort of selfish thing, 
Oh, totally. Where, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it become it mm-hmm. becomes about the addict again, right? Like, oh, totally. It was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I first got sober, I was like, "Oh, I can't wait to find my ex girlfriend who who knows uh who you know who knows how big of a dirtbag I am and let her know that like you know I'm a really good guy now yeah. you know I would I would never do that and you know especially like I I I did that mm. right and um I didn't I didn't think about that like oh maybe they're in a really bad place maybe that's Maybe it's not good news for them that I'm doing really well. Wow. Like that's, that's really, that's really about me. It's really, it's really selfish. Yeah. Or what if, um, I don't know. What, what, what if, um, I don't know, let's say a person, um, had an affair with another person and, and, uh, it it could create all sorts of conflicts in their marriage and relationships mm-hmm. or or what if someone kills you like you know what if you did something so bad to someone or when they you know if you go to try to make it right they could they could kill you that's yeah. a distinct possibility cause, yeah and so we use really good judgment <laughs> when we do this that's, that's why it says uh you know whenever possible except mm-hmm. when to do so hmm. would uh injure them or others hmm. And so both that six and seven and then eight and nine have like a internal dimension of like, you know, we were ready to have God remove all those defects or we were, you know, we were, um, we made a list of the persons we became willing to make amends. Yeah. And then the next step, you actually do something about it. But there's sort of like the internal. Hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a really good point. It's like a, it's like a heart posture and then yeah. a action. Yeah, yeah. And, and that repeats, it looks like, like three times. Hmm. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <clears throat> and oh, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I didn't see that in four and five. Wow. So in... Let's see. Okay, so, uh, so step nine, it's a... It's usually a list that you... you you know, hopefully are able to do before you die because Hmm. it requires really good judgment. Um, Because, you know, it's like this year, it might not be a good time to make an amends with an ex-girlfriend, but 10 years from now in a grocery store might, might be a, that might be a perfect time to Mm. do it. Like Mm. this is where uh, it, and this is where, like, you know, when you when you start asking around in recovery communities, like, you hear the most like incredible stories of people, um, of God just opening doors for people and throwing throwing them in their lives at just the right time where they can make things make things right with them. Hmm. Wow. So the the next three steps they're they're grouped together. Okay, so. These are these are called maintenance steps. They're they're what you're supposed to do every single day after you do the first nine steps. So uh, step ten is uh, continue to take personal inventory, and when we're wrong, we promptly admit it. And so every time we screw up, and when you know when we're in you know, getting ready for bed and something's not settling right, how we uh, I don't know how we represented ourselves, let's say throughout our day or maybe interactions you've had with people 
and you realize going, you know, I need to follow up with somebody and talk to them and, you know, make things right with this person. That's a, that's what this is. And so when we screw up, when we say or do the wrong thing, we, we promptly admit it as to, so it doesn't end up on the fourth step again. Mm. So step, step 11, we saw through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Mm. So to put simply is we, we seek God through prayer and meditation. Now, the, now I, I interpret this meditation because it's like, it was written in the 30s as like biblical meditation, like, mm. like studying the word, absorbing it, talking about it. Um, I don't, I don't think they're talking Eastern. <laughs> Not meditation as understood through the, uh, yeah, 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 through, <laughs> through the Beatles or whatever. Totally, the, yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think that was the thing. I, I yeah. so I, I totally interpret this as so we daily seek God through prayer and reading right. his word right hmm. and step 12 is having had a spiritual awakening as a result of working these steps we carry the message to to others who are suffering an addiction and and we practice these principles in all of our affairs mm. sounds sounds easy right yeah <laughs> yeah so so you you work these steps every day by by admitting when we're wrong promptly, mm-hmm. by you know, prayer, meditation, and working with others. Mm. So, so that that could be that could be service in all sorts of capacities. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there it is specific to like people suffering from addiction, and it's because you've had a spiritual awakening as a result of doing this. So, so like. Let's think about the kind of person w- that working the 12 steps produces, right? So, so someone who submitted their life to God, who's honest with themselves and others, who's cleaned up their past and doesn't like deny it happened, who takes a like, daily self inventory and admits when they're wrong who seeks God daily through, through the word, through, um, through prayer. And then they testify about what God has done mm. in their life. And as a result of all this, they, they serve their community, mm. seeking out people who, who are suffering and bringing them into the fold. Because, you know, they've received, they've received this, this free gift. And I think that's what we hear, you know, Church Nazarene call sanctification. Yeah. That it's, you know, I, I think when, when I think of the, the average Joe in, in a pew, you think like, how, how can we help that person achieve sanctification? It's like, it's really convoluted and complicated and it's kind of all on them. Hmm. you're like well you know seek you know seek seek god through you know through prayer and um 
started coming to Bible studies with me and let's hang out. And it's like, that's all really good stuff. Mm -hmm. But here what we're seeing is like very practical steps where, where anyone can start walking through. And if they are honest and, and, and do it with their whole heart, just by following these practical steps can, can experience this, the sanctification process mm -hmm. that God meets them every step of the way and just changes them into something that more closely resembles what 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 he walks and talks and acts like. Mm -hmm. And you know, I and I think this is the kind of impact on on the kingdom that hey, you know that pastors dream about having mm -hmm. is is being able to meet with people who are suffering and, and provide and, you know, provide practical steps for them to, to have just enormous life change where they walk out the other side, like blessing and, ser you know, and serving their community and, and, mm -hmm. and creating more of themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's just, it's just already happening. And it's and it's been happening for for a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. And that is it for today. Tune back in soon. Uh, we're going to be dropping the second half of this conversation, and really digging in not just to Sam's story um, or the twelve steps, but the way that those twelve steps make an impact and can change the way that we actually do discipleship as leaders, as Christians, um, and and how they can inform us practically as we seek to follow Jesus. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for being in the way. We'll see you soon.